You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So we're in a series of talking about this topic of live on mission. And um, last week we talked about uh, this idea of rethinking church. And in it, we, we, we point out the fact that within the New Testament and the New Testament concept of church, it never refers to a building. It's always referring to a group of people. And um, so the church, with regard to the New Testament, in that context, it's, it's the body of Christ. It's the people of Jesus gathering together. Each one of us who are called Jesus as Lord are called to join God in his redemptive work here on earth. And I, up until a second ago when I knocked it off, I was wearing a button that says, I'm on mission. We have some, so every one of you were given one as you came in last week. We have more. If you lost yours, um, did, weren't here and didn't get one, um, please feel free to take one. I think they're out in one of the tables out there in the gathering place. Um, but just this idea that we're, this is part of our calling. And today we're actually going to dig a little deeper into this idea. What does that mean to be on mission? Um, and uh, we've, we've kind of entitled this one, the subtitle is Living on Assignment and what that looks like um, here in the body of Christ. You know, if you study the life of Jesus, you discover that most of his time was spent with people. Um, he loved to hang out with people. In fact, 90% of all the miracles that he performed happened outside a synagogue or outside the place of worship. It was out in the days, out in just the day-to-day affairs of life. He walked into the lives of sinners. He touched lepers. He associated with prostitutes and dined with what they were referred to then as heathens. He hung out with the ungodly, and as he did, he was able to reveal the love of God wherever he went. So if we consider ourselves to be Christ followers, the followers of Jesus, then we are to do the same things he did. But that's not often the case. I think for some of us, there's a disconnect emerges. There's a quote from John Stott. I think it's actually in your worship guide. He says, we are to go as he went to penetrate human society to mix with unbelievers and fraternize with sinners. Does not one of the church's greatest failures lie here? We have disengaged too much. We have become a withdrawn community. We have become aloof instead of alongside. That's not what God intended. That's not what Jesus intended when he he left the disciples on earth and when he returned to heaven. That was not the essence of the mission that we become this sect that's excluded and outside of culture and community. We see more so what, what he intended in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's, uh, let me re- let's read this together. If you can read the screen or if you have your own device or Bible. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we uh, have gathered here this morning, I've already lifted our voices to you in worship. 
we've given um, back to you a, a very tangible, practical token, Lord God, of our faith in you as we've given our offerings and tithes as an act of worship. Now, Father, as we approach your word, I pray that you would, uh, Father, help me to communicate clearly. Father, may your Holy Spirit uh, take what's said and make it come alive within each of our hearts this day. Uh, So, Father, we continue our worship of you as we explore your communication with us through your written word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's break down these four verses uh, here again. Um, If I could have the first part of that one up there. Um, Let me go back. You know what? You're right. Stay there. I'm sorry. (laughs) I made a mistake. So that... uh, (laughs) Um, rats, you hope never to do that, but, uh, okay. So let's, let's break down those, those, those four verses he gave us. Um, and there's a few points that we can get from that. One is that because of the mercy and grace of God, we have been reconciled through Jesus and have become a new creation. How many of you gave your life to Jesus within the last three years? Within the last a couple of you. Okay. So the rest of you, and again, I don't mean to put anyone on the spot. It's like, yeah, I'm not raising my hand, you know. Like, uh, um, for most of us, though, I think there, it's been longer than that. Um, and but what's interesting is, is uh, just recently I was talking with a, a man who came to Christ in the last two years. It was like uh, two, two years ago. And he was sharing with me how frustrated he gets with Christians. And he's like, is it all? And, and he's like, they, it's like they just don't get it. And... Uh, which is ironic, you know, because they're the ones who've been serving Jesus the longest. You'd think that there would be a, a greater. But here's what I had. I had to help him realize. I said, you got to realize that it's, it's not that they don't get it. It's that like for, for you, coming to Christ was a life-changing experience. There was a clear before and after. I mean, there was a transformation that happened in you. And, he, you know, he's nodding his head yes. And I said, you got to realize that for those of us who grew up in the church, for me, my dad was a pastor. I, didn't, I don't know what it's like not to follow Jesus. So for me, coming to Christ was not a life-changing experience. It was a rite of passage. And so for those people like me, or even if they're not necessarily like me, but they've been a Christ follower for years and years, we lose, we forget. We lose sight of what this is. We, in this essence, we kind of take God for granted. And we hear all the sermons of grace and mercy and love and yeah, 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 we've heard it, heard it, we know it, we know it, we know it. And we just kind of, it just becomes part of us, but we don't, we forget. And what was fascinating for me was to, was to engage with this guy in this conversation, and you see the passion. You see what almost is like, you don't, what I've received, the, the, the gift of, of the reconciliation with God that has just come alive within his heart. And I want us to remember what that's like. Even if, even like for me, I didn't necessarily experience that personally. I can, I can observe that vicariously through other people. I see, I've seen the changed lives. I know the power of God. And so even though I personally don't have, the, I didn't have the sinful life that God redeemed me from, I am so grateful that he saved me from that, that I never had to encounter that to experience the love and mercy of Jesus as well. God didn't come into our life to do a remodel. I mean, if you have bought homes and remodeled them, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about here. He didn't just fix what was already there. We are a new creation 
according to that verse. The old is gone, and it doesn't say that the new is coming. The new is here. The new has come. It is here. It's present tense. When we surrender our life to Jesus, there is an instant transformation that occurs within us. Now, we're not completely transformed. None of us, none of us here today are just like Jesus. I mean, look around. I mean, it's obvious, right? None of us are. I mean, I know I'm not. So if I'm not, there's no way any of you are. Um, So... But the transformation process has begun. Jesus has come. God has reconciled us to him, and that's in process. We've been reconciled to God, but it doesn't just end there. Every Christ follower has been reconciled to be a reconciler. In verse 18, he says, it says that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. But then he clarifies that, because, well, what does that mean? You know, and, and, and later on in verse, um, he tells us that God is... Because God is the one who reconciles us to himself. And so in verse 19, he clarifies that a little bit. He said that he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Think about your own faith journey. Few of any of us woke up one morning and said, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus today. Just out of the blue. I would suspect that every one of us, there is at least one person in your life who is helping to move you towards Jesus Christ. Clearly, he was calling you and reaching out to you, but there was someone in your life that was helping you navigate that and pointing you in that direction. Those of us who have been reconciled to God have been called to share the message of reconciliation with others. And there's a third part of that verse passage we read. Every Christ follower is an ambassador representing Jesus. Um, now, for us, we think of ambassador is a familiar term. We have ambassadors. Um, what's interesting, though, I've never met one. I think it'd be kind of cool to, to see what it looks like. But an ambassador is a representative from one country to another country. So in most countries of the world, we have an ambassador. We be in the United States as an ambassador. They represent the United States. And more specifically, they represent the president of the United States. It's a huge position of power. I love the way the the dictionary actually lays it out. An ambassador is a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or as the resident representative of his or her own government or sovereign or appointed for a special and often temporary diplomatic assignment. Does that not describe the Christ follower? We've been assigned... We represent Jesus, and we've been assigned for a special and temporary. This is not our home. There's there's an eternal home that he's talking about, but we have an assignment, and that's us. As Christ's ambassadors, we represent him to everyone around us. We represent Jesus to everyone around us. Think about that. You and I are representatives of the kingdom of God. That's a little unnerving. <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, I don't put bumper stickers on the back of my car. I'm known to exceed the speed limit at times. And so I don't want anyone watching me go by saying, oh, there's someone from Grace Covenant. You know, or, you know, oh, there's another, you know, I love Jesus. Yeah, but you're going too fast. Um, you, know, you know what I'm saying? 
we represent Jesus. Um, that probably wasn't the best example for me to give right there, was it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> now, here's the, here's the thing. As representatives of Jesus, we have, there are implications of our role ambassadors. There's things that that means, that there's implications for all of us in that. And this is what I want to spend the next bit of time we're together talking about. What does it mean to live on assignment? Um, and there's five things, and I'm, really, I'm going through them really quick. I know you doubt me, but trust me, I'm going to go through these pretty quick. So the first one is living on assignment, or for living on assignment, is show up. Show up. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You have help. The Holy Spirit is with you. Remember last week we talked about this. Per- I did that. It used to be that God was in there. God occupied the temple, the holy place, and that's where God was. And then God with us. Jesus was walking here among the earth. And then we, God in us. And the Holy Spirit is now in us. If, if there's ever a situation that, re- that requires kingdom authority and you're there, you're it. You have all the authority and the power that's needed. All you have to do is show up. And the presence of God is there in that situation. Number one. Number two is build up. Be aware of opportunities and add value to others. For many of us, the greatest challenge is just being aware of the situations around us. Or if we are aware of a situation, we're sometimes unable or even unwilling to engage because of our own priorities our own routine, our own schedule, things that we've got going on. Number three, lead up. Be an excellent employee. That's obviously if you work for someone else. But a good definition of leadership does not talk about a person's role or job title. So if you're looking at any role, what does it mean to be a leader or any definition of leadership? None of them talk about titles or positions. Every one of them, if, if this is a definition of any value, speaks of this idea of influence. A leader is a person who influences. In fact, some of, our most inf- some of the most effective leaders I know never have positions of, uh, abs- they're not the final say. Sometimes the, the people underneath that actually have most influence. We influence people with our words and our actions. And it doesn't do anyone any good if our intent is to represent Jesus, but your words and actions sound nothing like the things he would say or look nothing like the things he would do. You don't have to be the one in charge to have significant influence. Number four, stand up. Be active in doing good deeds. And then number five, lastly, speak up. Be ready to share your faith. This is another one of those rough ones for some of us. Um, For some of us, we're really good with helping others, serving others. We're okay with that. But to say something about God, to say, talk about spiritual truths with people, it's like, holy smoke, that's that's a big one. And for many of us, that's a struggle, and we feel that way. Nevertheless, this is what we're called to do. So, these five points are all well and good, and uh, we can talk about these and know what these look like. But actually, that actually becomes a question. What does that look like? Um, 
And uh, one of one of the I mentioned that uh, Paul um, was one of the speakers at the the retreat yesterday or over the weekend. Actually, he spoke yesterday morning, and uh, he shared a story that I've actually have heard before, but I just think that really s- speaks to this situation of to be living on assignment. So I've asked Paul if he'd be willing to share that story with us. Um, and I'll be back in just when he's done. 20 minutes. <laughs> so uh, the this, this story that Pastor Sam asked me to share happened to me probably about uh, five or six months ago. I was sitting on an airplane. I travel now enough with my uh, job that uh, I have status. All that just means is you've been gone from home too long. Um, but what happens is is that I get, when I get, get on a plane, um, if it's under 500 miles at this point, they, they automatically put me in for an upgrade to go to first class. Now, here's the thing is I don't travel as much as the people who really travel, though. And so what happens is, is that you look on that and you look at the list and you realize I'm 38 and there's not 38 first class seats. So you're not going to get on there. Right. They put it in, but you never really get there. And so uh, one day I get on this plane and I realize uh, I was looking at the list and it was like, I don't know, it was like eight or something like that. And I'm still thinking it's still not going to happen. And uh, so I sit down and I travel enough that I sit in the same seat every time. For me, it makes it feel familiar. It's like riding in your own car. If you sit in, if you pick the same seat in the airplane every time, it feels familiar. And so I do that by habit. And I was sitting in my seat in row seven, aisle seat C. And uh, I'm sitting there and this, these people are getting on. And this lady's coming down the aisle and I recognize her. She's actually the insurance agent for Grace Covenant. And I worked with her for 10 years. Like, so I know her by name. I know a lot about her. Um, and so she doesn't see me. And she literally comes right beside me and sticks her luggage on the opposite side. And so she has her back to me. I'm sitting right here. And I just said, hello, friend. How are you? And she turned around and she said, oh, oh, Pastor Paul, Jesus loves me. And she says, I need to talk to you. I, I really need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. I'm thinking... This is not going to be a quiet flight. <laughs> so she sits down, and people are still coming to sit, you know, coming, getting on the plane, but she is not quiet about it. She is going to tell me why she needs to talk to me. And so, first off, I realized that uh, for about four rows in front and four rows behind, they all know that Pastor Paul is now sitting in row seven, <laughs> aisle seat C. And so um, I just started talking to her. I said, well, What's up, Nancy? And she said, um, she said, I'm headed to a wedding. My niece is getting married tomorrow, and I'm headed down. My sister just called me, and, but what she told me, I, I, I just want to get off this plane. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, um, she said my sister just called, and I have, a third, I have a second sister. There's three of us. And she just told me that her rooms all, got all messed up, and my other sister has to stay with me. And I'm like, yeah, I know, sibling robbery. She goes, no, you don't understand. She says, my sister and I have been estranged for four years. We have not spoken to each other in four years. And she said, everything in me wants us to just get off this plane. And I said, uh, Nancy, just sit down. We're going to talk through this because I think God's up to something. And so for, at right about that moment, 
this flight attendant walks up to me and goes, Mr. Glenn, you've been upgraded to first class. So my first thought is, Nancy, I'll wait for you after the flight. We'll talk. But I actually, what I said was, I said, uh, would you do me a favor? Would you bless someone else? I'm going to stay right here today. And so for the one and only time that I've ever actually gotten the upgrade, <laughs> true story, I wish I, one and only time I actually chose past it. But I sat there and I talked with her for a flight. It was an hour and a half long flight. And we talked and I talked her through the challenge that she had with her sister and, I, and how it started and how it had grown. And, and she just talked it through and I listened and I just really began to challenge her and said, Nancy, I know you believe and serve Jesus. And I know that Jesus is a restorer. He's a reconciler. He's one who mends. I think he's up to something, but we're going to have to choose. Are you in or are you out? Right? What are you going to do about it? And so in the course of the flight, I talked her through the psychology of conflict, the, the challenges of restoration and reconciliation, uh, I talked to her about the little voices that she would experience. There's all kinds of things we talked her through. But as we got off the plane, she hugged me about four times, and she said, Pastor Paul, she said, I'm just, I just want to thank you. I just know that God sent you here just to talk with me today. No, he didn't. He was sending me to Tampa. <laughs> but the reality is, is that God will use us in the regular, everyday occurrences if we're willing to see it. I will tell you this. I'll add this one last thing. Henry Blackaby, how many of you have done Henry Blackaby studies? Henry Blackaby says this. He says, we have to discover where God is already at work and join him in it. Because he's always working. It's up to us to see it. Thank you, Paul. Um, <clears throat> Paul has way more of these experiences than I do. I listen to him. He's just got a lot of these stories. That's not the point. The point is that, oh, God, I want a story. Here, here's the thing. God, if you're on a plane, God is not going to bring a Nancy to you and expect you to counsel her through a reconciliation if that's not what you're able to. No, he's not going to ask you to do something that you're not. Up to. He's going to bring you people that you're going to be able to speak into. So a couple of things that just stood out to me about what we shared is one, Paul didn't go searching for that opportunity. It literally sat down next to him. Okay? Sometimes we make these bigger than they need to be, and we, you know, and it's like, no, no, no. Let's just take stock of what's going on around you. The other thing is that it was a very natural encounter. You know, it wasn't one of these, you know, psychic kind of trance, you know, really weird. No, it was just. A conversation that happened naturally with someone, in this case, someone he knew, and he was able to just engage it that way. But here's the thing, though, is that he recognized this as a God moment. And the reason why we know that is because he gave up a first-class seat <laughs> to stay in it. Okay? And we have to be willing to do that, too. Because God moments almost always are disguised as inconveniences and hardships. They break up our routines. And it's like, oh, it's, uh, no, but okay. And we have to be willing to do that. What's this all about? Why, why is God calling us to be reconcilers? 
You know, what is that? Why does he want us to do that? And, you know, is it because we want, you know, more people coming to our church? And so let's, you know, let's connect with people, invite them. Is it because God wants us to give, give us something to do? You know, like we don't have enough activity in our lives. And I think it's about this. In Revelations chapter 5, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And later on in chapter 7, he says, And after this I looked, and therefore, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the nations will one day stand before the Lord and cry out, King of kings, Lord of lords, glory to the Lamb. That's what it's about. It's not about us. It's so that he will receive glory. God's desire is that everyone is reconciled to him. Everyone is reconciled to him. We've got to remember that the people that are around us that we encounter, sometimes we think that we're kind of initiating conversation. Here's what I'm convinced of. God's already at work in them. The Holy Spirit has proceeded in every conversation. The person that Paul was talking with, Nancy, God had been working on her. In fact, her response was, Jesus does love me. She realized that something was going on here. The same as with other people in our lives. God is doing something, and he wants us to be part of that. What an incredible thing. Jesus did not save us just to get us to heaven. He saved us so that we could be a part of his redemptive mission to our world. So I've got two points of action for us this week. One is that out here in the the gathering place, you may have already seen it when you came in, we've got a a foam board. It's a map of the greater Lake Norman area. Um, And there's some pins in it down on the side. And we want you to, uh, yes, you can see it there, um, to actually put a pin in the map where you live on mission during the week. So your home, that's your neighborhood. If you work, you know, outside the home working place, where that uh, goes, maybe go to school, where are you on mission? Um, The idea is that we have a pictorial of, from our congregation, what our mission field is. Yes, I think that'd be pretty cool. So um, we have the opportunity to do that. <clears throat> the other one is this. Um, I would like to see if someone of you would like to join me in some research. Um, many of you know I've, I recently finished a doctoral program, and, and part of it, it's a research-oriented type of thing. Um, and I'm going to ask for five volunteers, um, but, but I'll explain it to you, so, so um, hang on here. But I'm going, to make, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to do a very simple little thing for two weeks. For two weeks, I ask you to do something very simple. For 14 days, I'm going to ask you to begin your day with a very simple prayer. Very simple, but very dangerous four-word prayer. Dear Heavenly Father or dear Jesus, however you want to start your prayer, and that's not the four words. Here come the four words. <laughs> Please use me today. 
please use me today. Start your day before you even get out of bed. Because who knows, maybe God wants you, the first person used to is maybe your spouse or someone else in the household. And so you need to say it before you even get out of bed, before you have any encounter with anybody, God, please use me today. Everyone can do this. So I'm, I'm not limited. I mean, all of us, I think, would be a great thing. But I want five. Because from these five, I want you to begin feeding back to me what happens. So that as you go through the day, you're paying attention huh, is this what God is doing? And you're going to report back and say, all right, here's, here's, here's the data. On this day, I prayed this prayer. And you know what? On that day, I had this conversation or this happened. And let's begin to see. I want to test this. Um, and, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we ought to do this and go do it. I actually want to hear the stories about people who are trying to do this intentionally. Um, so you'll have a chance to report back. So I'm looking for five volunteers who would say, you know what, I'll do this for five days. No, I'm sorry, I'll be one of the five volunteers for 14 days. <laughs> so, okay. Um, you can write this up. Missy, I'm, I'm taking names. Okay. Because um, I, I, really, I really want to find out what happens. Okay. Um, Josh. Josh, thank you. <laughs> if I forget your name, please forgive me. Okay, Mark. Thank you. I need two more. Two more? Okay. Jan and Susan. Jan Susan. Okay. Now, those of you who can do it too, and if you do it, let me know. But I, I, but I have to have, a, a, the, I have to, the basis of the research has to be around the, these five, but I'll expand it if it goes more. Here's, 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 uh, here's the thing. In all research, there's a hypothesis. You know, the, the researcher goes into the, the testing part with, with a sense of, here's what I'm expecting to happen a prediction of what you think will occur. My, hypo- my hypothesis is this. When a, God, when a person asks God to use them, he will. And I can't wait to see what God will do in us and through us in the days ahead. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing gift and calling to join you in your reconciliation work here on earth. What an incredible honor. Lord, you could have come up with a very different plan that didn't even involve us, that was just totally reliant on you. But the fact that you've asked us to join you in your work, part of me says that uh, you should probably rethink and come up with a better plan. Um, But Lord, the other part of me is so incredibly grateful and honored and humbled that you have called us to do that. Father, my prayer is that we as a congregation take this to heart, that we recognize that we are on mission every day, that we have a purpose and we're called to be reconcilers to those we come in contact with, whether it's standing in line at the store or sitting in a booth in a restaurant or sitting on a plane across the aisle. Wherever we find ourselves, Lord God, I ask that we would be attuned to your Holy Spirit, that we would become aware of those situations, those moments, and that we would have courage to speak out, that we would be willing to offer to pray for someone, to ask them to tell us their story or to engage them in a conversation. So Lord, guide us, I pray. Help us, Lord God, uh, in all that we do. Father, we commit these teams to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.